The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. When you gotta love it, it's good like it should be Makes you never wanna give it up Cause you know that some people die for love And I believe it's true cause I do the same for you Good morning, you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California. Streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Fighting for Love. This show will help you turn conflict into collaboration in all your relationships. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank, an attorney mediator since 1985. She's the author of several books, including Negotiations, Breakthroughs, and Fighting for Love. She's a mediator for the Orange County Superior Court Civil Mediation Panel, and she mediates business, employment, divorce, privacy, and other civil cases in her private practice in Laguna Niguel, California. Mari's a professor of negotiations and conflict management and has been a certified state bar trainer for over 25 years. She teaches leadership and conflict management courses at Brandman University and here at UCI, and she trains corporate leaders' powerful communication and conflict transformation skills. To learn more about the show and our great guests, please visit conflicthealing.com. Mari, what's your show about this morning? We have a wonderful guest who is a repeat guest. And we love to have him. He's an author. He's a master mediator. He's a peace giver, a peacemaker, and just one of my very favorite guests. Let me tell you a little bit about Kenneth Cloak. He is the director of the Center for Dispute Resolution. And he, as I said, he's a mediator, arbitrator, facilitator, coach, consultant, and trainer. And he specializes in communication, negotiation, and resolving complex multi-party disputes, including such things as marital, divorce, family, community, all sorts of grievance and workplace disputes, collective bargaining, organizational school conflicts, sexual harassment, discrimination, public policy, and basically anything that he can. He also does design for preventive conflict resolution systems. And he's also, besides being an internationally recognized Speaker. He is the author of Mediation, Revenge, and the Magic of Forgiveness, Mediating Dangerously, The Frontiers of Conflict Resolution, The Crossroads of Conflict, A Journey into the Heart of Dispute Resolution, Conflict Resolution, First and Second Editions, and The Dancer, the Dance of Opposites, Exploring in Mediation, Explorations in Mediation, Dialogue and Conflict Resolution Systems Design, and co-author with Joan Goldsmith of Thank God It's Monday, 14 Values We Need to Humanize the Way We Work. Boy, that's a real needed book. Resolving Personal and Organizational Conflict, The End of Management and the Rise of Organizational Democracy, and The Art of Waking Up, Cultivating Awareness and Authenticity at Work and Resolving Conflicts at Work. 10 Strategies for Everyone on the Job. So we are just thrilled to have him join us today, and we're going to be talking about his new book uh, on conflict resolution. So let's talk about that, Ken. Thank you so much for joining us. 
Thank you, Marie. I appreciate it. So let's talk about your recent book, Conflict Resolution. What is that all about? Well, um, actually, the title is a little difficult to read. Um, it's actually, what I did was I took conflict resolution and spray-painted a V over the S. So the actual title is Conflict Revolution. Oh, Conflict Re Revolution. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the subtitle is, yeah, the, the subtitle is Designing Preventative Systems for Chronic Social, Economic, and Political Conflicts. Wonderful. Is that needed in this world or what? Well, that was my thought, and so the question was, well, here's kind of the where it began. Um, mediators have been around, of course, since there have been human beings. Um, <laughs> it's certainly one of the oldest professions, if not the oldest profession, to help people try to figure out how to resolve their disputes with each other. But in the last uh, 35 years or so, in my experience, there has been a real... Um, transformation in the level of skill that people are exercising in resolving disputes. So there are lots and lots of mediators who are now very, very good at um, resolving interpersonal disputes. But if we think about it, there are really two different kinds of conflict. First, there are purely interpersonal conflicts that are just accidental and occasional and happen once and then that's it. Right. And the second kind are the chronic kind, the kind that happen over and over and over again. And if you have a conflict that's happening over and over and over again, it means there's a system that is at work and the resolution techniques that you are using to try to stop the conflict aren't sufficient to change the system. So the question then becomes, how do you resolve conflicts when there's a system that's producing them? Right. So, for example, my definition of a system, I have a very simple definition, which is a two-year-old and a coffee table with expensive things on it. <laughs> and that's a system. Right. And as long as you have that in place, you're going to get conflicts between the parent who cares about those things and the kid who's just sort of playing. Right, right. So uh, there are lots of, lots of conflicts like this. Every relationship has systemic conflicts. So the question then becomes, what do you do about that? Well, there is a method that we developed for workplace conflicts that's called conflict resolution systems design. And the idea is there is, how do you design a system that at least um, takes care of not just individual conflicts, but streams of conflicts, mm -hmm. conflicts that are continuously coming, and that helps you figure out what the real source is. Um, I came across a wonderful statement from uh, uh, Bishop uh, Desmond Tutu, mm -hmm. who said, if you see people who are drowning in the river, of course you jump in to try to save them. But sooner or later, you want to go upstream and find out why they're falling in. Right, right. And that's the basic idea of systems design. So the question then becomes, well, if maybe we can do this in the workplace, but what about all the conflicts that we are facing in the world? Yes. Uh, the conflicts that we're facing here in the United States and elsewhere around the world with what's happening in Greece and what's happening in, 
um, with um, the negotiations with Iran and in the Middle East and all around the world. There we have conflicts, and they're repeated conflicts. So right. the conflicts in the Middle East have been repeating for centuries. Right, right. And so the question I asked myself was, is it possible to look at these conflicts not from the point of view of saying who's right and who's wrong, but from the right. point of view of saying this is a conflict. Isn't there a better way of handling it? Right. Isn't there a good way for people to actually disagree with each other in a way that leads them into problem-solving and constructive solutions? That was the question that I asked myself. Right. And so the book, the first edition of the book was designed to try to answer that question, and the second edition is sort of a a new take on the answer. Um, but the, the shorthand answer is yes, it is possible for us to do this. But what we have to do is we have to move away from the problem-solving methods that are disrespectful, uncommunicative, uh, adversarial, hostile to others, demeaning, um, discouraging, um, that turn in circles and don't go anywhere, etc. And there are lots of those problem-solving mechanisms that we just haven't thought about. So military force is one of those problem-solving mechanisms. Right, And there are certain problems that you can solve using military force. And there are other, like somebody who's standing there with a gun who wants to shoot you, for example. But there are other problems that can't be solved using military force. Um, Like, for example, bird flu. Um, you just right. you're not going to solve the problem if right. there's a pandemic of bird flu or swine flu or Ebola or something else of that sort by um, sort of just shooting people. It's not going right. to work. Right, right, right. And so, and then the second method that we use is um, so that we can think of military force as being a power-based approach to problem solving. Well, there's also a rights-based approach to problem-solving, which is to define what people's rights are and then try to, you know, sort of litigate or write policies and procedures or rules and regulations that will help them solve their problem. And the difficulty with this is this is more successful than the power-based solution, and this is why we have treaties and we have courts and we have... Uh, elections. So democracy largely consists of a series of, you know, sort of um, uh, elections in which we vote on who's going to represent us and try to do the problem solving. But the problem is, um, once they get to Congress, they slip back into rights-based methods of decision-making, or they go into rights-based ones that also have winners and losers. Right, right. That yeah. are demeaning or that don't really solve the problem. Right. And I'm we've got lots and lots of right. examples of bureaucracy mm-hmm. um, not solving problems. So yeah. what's better than that? And the answer from the mediation field is interest-based methods of problem solving. Right. So an interest-based method doesn't say, what do you want? It says, why do you want that? Why is that important to you? What does that mean to you? What, um, uh, 
what would you do if you were in charge and why would you do it that way? And the object of this is to find out what it is that's really upsetting about the problem to someone, what it is that they really want solved, and to listen to the answer and try to find a solution that doesn't require a winner and a loser. Right. And it turns out that that's often possible. So the book is really about how do we shift from power and rights-based forms of problem-solving and decision-making into interest-based ones with regard to social, economic, and political conflicts. Yes, and it's not an easy answer. You talk about um, chronic conflicts, and you, and you list top ten. Can you share some of those with us? Um, well, here's an example. Uh, I have been working with a group called Mediators Beyond Borders, which I uh, was one of the founders of many years ago, actually almost exactly 10 years now. Mm-hmm. And we've been working in a number of different countries. And I'm work- on a team that has been working in Athens trying to create dialogues between immigrants and Greek citizens. Mm-hmm. And the difficulty is Greece has the largest coastline of any country in Europe. And it's the closest to the Middle East and certain places in Africa, uh, like Somalia. And so what happens is lots and lots of immigrants are coming in trying to get to a place where they can lead a better life. Right. And, of course, this is happening around the world. So it's not just that it's happening in Europe. It's happening here in the U.S. as well and various other places around the world that people are living in situations where the climate is changing or there's a drought or they can't make a living, um, they try to find some place where they can. And so what we've been doing is trying to create dialogues between Greek citizens and immigrants. Mm-hmm. And this is not, none of this is easy. You said before this is, very, this is not easy. And um, a real conversation about a real problem isn't an easy thing to make happen. But what we have to avoid is um, the simplicity that comes from a single right answer. Uh, Einstein uh, famously said that um, we need to make things, we need to make our problems as simple as possible, but no simpler. Right. (laughs) And if we make them too simple by saying there's a real easy solution, which is just to get rid of the other side or just impose our, our will on them, that may last for a period of time, but sooner or later it's going to fail. It's always failed throughout history. And we're now stuck with a lot of problems because these old methods don't work anymore. And they not only don't work on that level, what the immigration problem shows is the borders that we have created, the national borders that separate nation states really don't respect human, don't respect problems. Birds fly over those borders. Diseases cross them. Um, Climate changes that take place don't respect borders. And so what we have to do is we have to see that the greatest problem-solving instrument we've ever created in the history of uh, of the human species, which is the nation state, is no longer able to solve the problems that we are increasingly facing. Uh, a global economy in which trillions of dollars exchange hands every day 
and no one's in charge. Um, so it's these kinds of things that um, are increasingly telling us that we need a better way of solving problems. The Ebola crisis was a good example of this. Um, and what do we do? Uh, we can try to keep people out of our borders, but ultimately that's not going to work if there's a real pandemic. Of course you want to try to isolate people and prevent them from spreading the disease as much as you possibly can. But what we have to do is to see that when it comes to certain types of problems, they are international in their nature. And without an international approach to them, um, any single nation isn't going to be able to solve them. Right. So that's the basic idea. I don't know if I answered your question. Yeah, yeah, no. So, Ken, you know, you talk about that all conflicts are personal, unique, simple, local, accidental, unpredictable, and, and at the same time, you know, systemic, generic, global, chronic, and foreseeable. But, you know, can we can we really change this without really helping to educate people as to um, conflict resolution processes and, and interest-based, you know, conflict resolution? I mean, it seems to me that there has to be an education and people are, are thinking in this certain way. And even if you go in there and you try and mediate it, unless they learn those skills themselves, there is not going to be problem solving on a, on a more global level, right? You're absolutely right. So the basic idea of mediators beyond borders, for example, the work that we've been doing in, in Athens, is not to actually mediate between Greek citizens and immigrants, but to teach them how right. to do it themselves. So what we're trying to do is what we call capacity building. And we did the same thing when Hurricane Katrina came to New Orleans. We came in and helped people in the Lower Ninth Ward and various other places in New Orleans uh, uh, sort of learn how to negotiate for the things that they needed um, with the various aid agencies that were coming down there and sort of tripping over each other's feet and basically not really listening to what people had to say. Right. So teaching communication skills, negotiation skills, dialogue skills, and especially conflict resolution mediation skills right. becomes extremely important. And these are all skills that everyone can learn. I've uh, trained children, um, sort of even nursery school age children in, in how to do this. And there are a number of school mediation programs that begin at a very young age that are quite good and um, uh, very successful. And if you want to see something really fun, you would want to watch some kids mediate with each other um, about their disputes. It, they're, they're just really amazing at it. And these are all skills that all of us can learn, even in our own relationships right. with the people that we care about. We can get better at uh, listening, at saying what's important to us, in a way that doesn't require that somebody else lose. Um, those are all things that, that we learn in the mediation process. Right. And, usually, and generally, when you think about conflict, the thing that comes to me most importantly about it is that every conflict has at least two truths to it. 
right. it's not that one side is right and the other side is wrong. It's that on some level, they're both right, and on some other level, they're both wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what they're right about is what they really care about, how they feel, right. what you know, what what is upsetting to them, what they would like to see happen, and what they're wrong about is the way that they try to communicate this to the other person. Yes. So. Yeah, That's the basic idea. Yeah, I mean, it gets back to that old adage of give a man a fish, feed him for a day, teach a man mm-hmm. to fish, feed him for a lifetime. So, I mean, that mm-hmm. that um, that mediation beyond borders. Why don't you tell a little bit more? You know, we've talked just a little bit about it, but I think you're doing such a beautiful job throughout the world. Why don't you tell a little bit more about, I know you were, a um, founder of this, but tell a little bit to my audience about Mediation Beyond Borders and what the mission is and, you know, how people can get involved. Great. So Mediators Beyond Borders, and if people want to look it up, you can go to mediatorsbeyondborders.org and you'll get the website. And basically we're just a group of people who are interested in conflict resolution, people who have been trained in mediation, some people who haven't actually done a lot of mediation, but they like the idea of it and who support the process. And we have a program in the Middle East, in Israel and the Palestinian territories, and a program in Kenya where there's a huge drought taking place. And we're working with a, a group of pastoralists who are sort of herders, and they're getting into conflicts between themselves over water and grazing rights and they're getting into conflicts with farmers and we're also working in Nepal in Ecuador and Colombia in uh, Liberia and Nigeria um, in South Sudan a number of different places and basically what we're doing is we're just you know sort of uh, people who have decided not to wait for the diplomats and the heads of state to come in and say, you know, sort of here's how it's going to be done. We believe that people in communities have the ability to um, uh, do this type of work themselves. One of our most interesting and powerful and successful projects has been in Rwanda, where the Los Angeles chapter of Mediators Beyond Borders has been supporting the Rwanda team and also the Kenya team and sending people um, who to go to those countries as volunteers. Nobody pays anybody's way. We're all just trying to help in whatever way we can. Some people help just by, you know, assisting in supporting the team that's actually going. And in Rwanda, we've been working with um, Hutus and Tutsis who have been enemies for a long period of time and really slaughtered each other in a horrible way. Um, not too many years ago, and are still trying to recover from that. But what they've learned is, and they've learned it as a result of their experiences, that, that you, you can't solve problems by killing each other. Right. You have to figure out sooner or later that you've got to learn how to get along. And that's the problem of the human race, it seems to me, right. globally. We've got right. to figure out how to get along. And these are the tools. Yes. So what about what's happening in our country? Are you, are mediators beyond borders doing something within our borders? Mm-hmm. I mean, we obviously need some help right here in, in 
everywhere from North Carolina, California, everywhere with all the uh, challenges that we've had with with law enforcement and race relations and so many other issues that have come that have arisen of late. What are what are we doing within our own country? Great, great question. So, for example, the Los Angeles chapter of Mediators Beyond Borders. I'm doing a training for them this weekend in um, dialogue techniques, and they're going to be participating in a program called Days of Dialogue which are conversations between community members, uh, especially minority community members and police and fire mm-hmm. and various other uh, agencies to say, here's how we perceive what's going on. And then the other side gets to say how they perceive what's going on. And then they get into some problem solving and real conversations with each other. And a lot shifts as a result of that. But more um, we, we need to do something more about uh, dealing with the various ways in which we argue with each other. I'm trying to write a thing right now, which is uh, about how to talk about race and immigration and abortion and gay marriage and various other subjects that people have strong disagreements with each other about. And the question is, it's not that you want to stop the conflict or prevent the disagreement because every disagreement reflects somebody's perception of what a problem might be or, um, you know, just a shift in how people's ideas change even. But what we need to do is to recognize that we are all, um, none of us perfect and we all have an interest in figuring out how to do this together if we possibly can. So there's another piece of this, which is about the fact that we're heading into an election year. And in the course of this election year, there's gonna be a huge amount of conflict and people, you know, sort of insulting each other, using attack ads and all of these things. And the predictable outcome will be that somebody will be elected who half the country hates. <laughs> and it's just not a very good way of solving problems. But yeah. the whole point of politics is to solve problems. Yes. So can we have a more problem-solving oriented approach to political elections? That's right. the question. Well, instead of the debates, you know, uh, it would yeah. be, see, it, you know, if we could have somebody like you or other mediators really helping them to dialogue when they're talking instead exactly. you know, have a real dialogue and and to facilitate a dialogue instead of a debate because the debate turns into I'm right, you're wrong, you know, your ideas are stupid and ours aren't <laughs> right? That that's the way it is. Instead of talking about what their big concerns are, what they'd like to see happen, how how they would do it and then the other side could say, well, this, I hear you say this. I mean, it, it could turn into a whole problem-solving event. But exactly. I, I don't, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. For example, um, there are questions that you can ask people that will open the dialogue in the right way. Here are two questions that we used in Athens. First question, have you, to each person who's there, have you ever been in a situation in your family in your neighborhood, in your school, in your workplace, where you were the new one and everybody had been there for a while. 
and they understood what all the rules were, and they resented you for being there. And what did that feel like? Right. And then, have you ever been, second question, have you ever been in a situation in a family or a neighborhood or a school or a workplace where you have been there for a while, and now all these new people are coming in and changing the rules and not respecting the way that things were done before? And what did that feel like? And within two questions, virtually everybody there can begin to understand how the other side feels. And that they're, so, and that we're all have common feelings. Exactly. You know, I think that's that's what we learn as mediators that that there are so much commonality. If yes. we're in pain, that's the other the side can. Yeah, we're you know that's that's I think the the real creativity and the beauty of mediation is I get to understand how you feel. You get to stand, understand how I feel, and then we find out that we may have different pain, but we both feel the pain. But believe it or not, Ken, we, it's always such a delight, but we are totally out of time. Mm. Why don't you just give your website, and then we'll have to have you back again real soon. That so. would be lovely. Okay. So the website is www.kennethcloke.com. At uh, kennethcloak.com. Kenneth, thank, thank you, you so much, much and, and we look forward to seeing you again. Keep up all the wonderful work that you're doing, okay? Thank you so much. Okay, okay bye bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM Minerva and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every morning at 8.30 a.m. and visit our website at conflicthealing.com. Thanks. Some people die for I believe it's true because I do the same for you. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.